Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. If uh, if your children are near, I want you to listen to this podcast because Steve Krupa gave a clinic on dedication and hard work. Uh, he was still recovering from his ailment, as you'll hear <laughs> on the, in this yeah. interview. But he was there. He showed up. And he did mm-hmm. his job, as Bill Belichick would say. So thank you, Steve Krupa, for sticking it through. Absolutely. I come to work every day, Tom, as you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy that you do. This was a, a bit of a, a departure for us. It was uh, more of a, an incubator sort of story. Let's talk about uh, Brad Weinberg and, and Blueprint. Yeah, Bl- Blueprint is in New York. It's, it's one of a couple of uh, digital health accelerators we have here. We have also the New York City Digital Health Accelerator. And uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting just to see because, I mean, the theory is is that startup and seed stage startup is becoming uh, a little bit of an industry of its, in and of itself. And I thought it would be interesting to dig into that because um, it, the hypothesis is, is that there will, that will become a source of uh, venture capital and growth equity deal flow um, you know, a few years from now. And, and Brad has been successful at it. I mean, he's, uh, he's run through about nine cycles, about 75 companies. And, uh, and many of them are still operating and are moving on to later round uh, VC stages at this point. And he's another one of these uh, overachieving MDs, right? <laughs> yeah, well, Brown University. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went into med school. And then, you know, he had uh, the good fortune to do a startup, sort of leave med school, get a company called Shape Up started, um, and then go back and finish his medical degree. Uh, but that, that uh, small taste of entrepreneurship um, caused him to pursue this idea of creating uh, blueprint health uh, and, and the idea of, uh, of a small capital uh, startup accelerator for, for digital health here. And he's been doing this now for, uh, I think, almost uh, over three years. Terrific. How would you characterize the, the digital health scene, the startup scene in New York? Can you, can you see every deal you want to see? Uh, within uh, on the island or on, uh, uh, I guess, off island a bit, somewhere in New York? Or uh, is it still very nascent, still very growing? No, you know, I think venture capital in New York City is uh, certainly making a mark. I think it, uh, it's competing with Boston and Washington. And, and, cer- and certainly in healthcare, um, you can compete with Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley sort of left healthcare for a while and then came back. Um, so there is an effort to build an infrastructure here in New York. Certainly, you know, Fred Wilson, uh, Union Square Ventures on the digital media side of things has, uh, is one of many who have, uh, really helped things here. Um, but it is becoming a, a real venture capital community because the, the kids that are doing all the coding and, and all the marketing and design work, uh, are coming here and they're living in places like Bushwick and Ridgewood, Queens and, um, wanting to participate in sort of the urban lifestyle, uh, much in the same way a lot of the venture capital has moved from Silicon Valley to San Francisco over mm-hmm. in California. So we're seeing, we're seeing a, a nice economy growing here in New York around startups. I was going to say, strangely, I, I bet New York is actually a more affordable option than San Francisco right now for a lot of those folks. If you want to live in Bushwick, it is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And 
uh, a lot of those neighborhoods have already been changed. So when I, I mean, even 10 years ago, you know, Williamsburg was still sort of like a hipster neighborhood. The, you know, property values went up as they sort of colonized out there. Uh, they're doing the same thing in sort of, uh, neighborhoods a little bit further east from Manhattan now, but the, the commute's easy. I mean, you just look at the L line and, and that's where the kids are going to want to live. Excellent. So they can get into the city and play on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. It doesn't sound like such a bad deal. All no. Right. No, it's fun. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, get into this visit with Blueprint. Terrific. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm uh, here overcoming a, a, a slight cold and uh, also on, on the line here with fellow New Yorker uh, Brad Weinberg. Uh, who is the CEO of Blueprint Health, a, uh, a digital accelerator for healthcare in New York City. Welcome, Brad. Hello there. <laughs> I'm glad you can make it. You, uh, you're you not that familiar with my voice, so you don't probably know that I'm not this froggy, but um, we'll, get, we'll get through this. I'm glad you could join me. Um, the, uh, the whole world of, of starting companies from the beginning uh, is evolving into a little bit of an industry at some level um, where you know early stage services uh, can be provided to, to young companies uh, in an effort to get them smarter, faster, and ready for investment. Uh, give me a sense for what Blueprint does and, and, and how you've been successful over the last four or five years. Yep. So um, we started five years ago um, as kind of part investment fund and uh, very heavily kind of um, a, a, a mentor and um, facilitator for companies to raise money and, and help them get their initial customers in the healthcare industry. Um, and this really just came out of my own experience of, of building a company in the healthcare space and seeing that, um, you know, having folks that had had knew that knew the industry had had sold into it before and could actually build a community uh, of folks or build a network of folks that that uh, these first time entrepreneurs could could tap into could be really helpful for them. So we invest a little bit of money, about twenty twenty thousand bucks in in companies, and then uh, really work hand in hand with them to try to help them get customers and and help them raise a seed round. Great. So let's go into, you know, your, you know, like I know what my product is as a VC, right? I provide capital and I think I, we provide intellect to our businesses in terms of what we know uh, is going on in the healthcare industry. And we, 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 we try to help our CEOs and founders and entrepreneurs when they get to our stage where they need, you know, a, a large slug capital to move forward, um, progress. So my product as a venture capitalist is is cash capital and what I call intelligence equity or insights uh, and hopefully good advice and friendship and 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 support for the people trying to build these businesses. Um, I would imagine your product is similar, but you're 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 dealing with a lot more companies at a lot earlier stage. So give me a sense for you know how your business model works and how you interact with your entrepreneurs and how you find your companies. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing that accelerators have done, um, 
and and it started to flow back and forth between VCs, um, is they've institutionalized the forms of support a little bit better, um, mm-hmm. and and used and and been very proactive about around um, kind of identifying people people to help. So you know, we've institutionalized community support in the form of mentorship, where you know we bring in over over 300 people into our office every year to talk to our entrepreneurs. And I think very few VCs, um, you know, uh, probably set up that quantity of meetings in their office with their portfolio companies um, that are, you know, potentially product, you know, productive for the companies. Um, they might do it in other ways and a, you know, a bunch Nobody's of, kind of setting one-off up 300 meetings, believe me. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, and we, we built software systems to do that, you know, to help us do that. I mean, that's, that's just 300 people. I mean, in terms of the number of meetings we set up, it's probably, um, 1500 meetings. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> and, and to do that, and, and to do that, we had to build software and, and, and really think about institutionalized or systematizing, um, the, you know, some of the efforts. And I think, um, you'll, you've seen some VCs build what they're calling platforms, um, where they, you know, have hired people to, to provide these, these services. And they're primarily around business development, capital raising and recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I think we're just starting to see, um, how, how the systematization of that can, can positively impact the cap, you know, the relationship between the capital providers and, and the companies. And I, um, you see, you see VCs like first round, which, you know, isn't healthcare related, but they've done a, you know, they have a pretty good reputation for having built some, you know, have only, you know, systematized some of those things as well as, um, Anderson Horowitz. Right. Um, and I think, I think you'll, you'll see more and more VCs, you know, try to figure out how they can, you know, build systems around those things the same way that we expect our companies to do it. Right. Right. You know, with their product. Well, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I know some of your data. So you've, you, uh, you mentioned to me that you've had about nine cycles or, or nine, uh, periods of time where you've brought companies through and that you've brought it, including your latest group around 75 companies, you know, through your process or your, um, your accelerator. So it feels like that's around eight, eight ish per cycle. Um, I'm sure it's not precisely eight. I mean, that's not a small feat to deal with that number of companies. No. Yeah. And you have to build, I mean, all the way from like portfolio reporting to, you know, um, you know, how we interact with our companies, we build software to do it, (laughs) like custom software. Um, and, and I think, you know, we've taken um, a pretty entrepreneurial approach to how, I mean, you have to, and you have to, you know, think about this a little bit differently than, you know, maybe how it's been done, you know, to some degree by folks before. Do you, um, so for example, if you're going to bring eight companies, is it, is it about right? Is that the number around eight a cycle ish? Yeah, it's eight to 10 usually. Eight to, eight to 10. That's what, so if you're bringing those companies in, are you, is is to get involved with you? Is it like an application process? I've got to send you my business plan and I've got to convince you that I'm a good yeah. company to bring into your system. 
Um, so it's interesting. I mean, we look at it and a little bit differently in the sense that, um, so, so yes, there's a, there's a, there's an application process. Right. Um, but in terms of what we, you know, how we do that process, we're trying to minimize the amount of work that entrepreneurs need to do in relation to, you know, us being able to make a reasonable assessment, Mm -hmm. um, if we want to invest and we make, quick decisions. I mean, we'll often make same day decisions once, once we meet a company in person, um, you know, and, and in terms of, of in-person meetings, we go fly and meet our companies. Um, the amount of effort that a, a company needs to put into our due diligence is usually, you know, it should be less than 30 minutes of, of, of their time mm-hmm. and a phone call and an in-person meeting. So, um, so, we have a, you know, our process of, of, you know, both finding, you know, companies that we think that we can be helpful to, um, and then, and then quickly evaluating them. And again, you know, we've built, <laughs> because we look at over a thousand applications a year. So that's a huge, you know, that's built a big this, number. It's What's crazy. It? Um, and, um, so we built systems to do that too. Um, and, um, and we have a small team. I mean, this is this is a two man shop, so um, it, right. um, you, we have to be you know kind of very efficient. Now, because we're you know we're investing a small amount of capital relative to what a, a typical VC is doing, um, we don't you know some of the in due in depth due diligence steps that you know you kind of really have to do as a fiduciary as a later stage investor, we don't have to do. Right. Um, but, um, but it's, uh, in terms of our ethos, it's all about figuring out how we can be as most efficient as possible for the entrepreneurs, how we can get to a decision for them that, that, um, without, you know, forcing them to, to do a lot of, a lot of work and still gives us, um, all the information we need, need to make a good decision. So when you, when you, uh, well, if I did the math, it's a thousand guys, a thousand, a thousand applications, you know, 200 work days, two people reading them. So you're reading two or three business plans a day at some rate. I mean, it'd be great if they all came in perfectly sequenced like that, but I'm sure it's batched. But mm-hmm. when you, when you start to look at these, you know, new companies and they're not really deals yet, right? They're just new companies. What, yep. uh, what gets you excited? I mean, if you're going to take, you know, 10 out of a thousand, you know, you got a 1% admissions rate, if you will. Yep. It's yep. probably easier to get into Brown. Um, what, what we'll take about, we'll, we'll take about 20 a year, but yeah, it's still 2% still pretty low. Yeah. It's still pretty low. So obviously some of those applications and, and look, I read a lot of business plans too, but when, when you look at this stuff, obviously you're going to shake your head. 99% of the time, right? So what is it yep. that makes you nod your head? What is cool about these companies that says you, you want to, you know, put some, put your resources and your energy behind them? what gets you turned on? Yeah. I mean, so the first part of, um, so we standardize, we don't kind of take general business plans. We standardize the information that people give us so that we can evaluate quickly. Um, and the, the major piece that we ask them for first is just some information on who they are. Um, what their, you know, what their, what their kind of greatest accomplishment, you know, something that they think is their, their best achievement. Um, 
we're looking for people that have kind of past indications of, of high performance. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, past high performance is in our eyes is usually a good indicator of, of someone that's going to, going to do well in the future. Um, and then, and then looking for a balance on the team of, of executors and so folks that can execute either write code or, or execute on the product in some way. And, and someone that can um, do either sales or marketing, um, essentially drive, you know, revenue for the company. So figuring out the the team and, and, and our belief that they're going to be able to execute on something is, is about utmost important to us, mm-hmm. uh, to us. And then, and then we'll work with the company. I mean, they'll, they'll tell us what, what, what they think the, the problem is that they want to solve. And, um, well, sometimes, you know, if it's, if we think they've really honed in, they think they really understand who their customer is. Maybe they've actually sold a couple of customers. Um, that's great. Sometimes they're still trying to figure that out and we'll work on, you know, on them with that. But what, where we want to get by the end of the process is to be able to articulate how they get to half a million dollar revenue run rate within 12 to 24 months. It's just, you know, at least there. That mm-hmm. there is, you know, there is a customer that would pay them. Um, you know, there are positive unit economics theoretically um, that we can at least articulate. You know, an idea of how this is going to be a sustainable business, um, and it, it actually often, you know, takes some work. For, you know, with companies to to be able to articulate something like, you know, what are the unit economics of your business? Right. Um, at shape up, it took me a long time before I was able to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's 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 the essence of early stage is is pivoting around an idea until you find a business. Do yep. you do you do you look at the market with a preconceived notion of the types of areas that you want to see addressed by these companies, or do you let the market sort of present its ideas to you and you evaluate them? in the context of, you know, what you know about healthcare. And I, I don't know if you understand what I mean by the question, but I, okay, go I ahead. do. Yeah. So, um, I've had a lot of, um, areas that I've wanted to be, a, you know, be addressed just because we talk to so many people <laughs> and right. I think very few of those we've actually, you know, actually invested in the companies that, that we're addressing. <laughs> so for better or worse, most of, most of our companies have, have, have been ideas or, um, have come from ideas where the entrepreneur themselves directly kind of saw a pain point or a problem that needed to be addressed. Right. And, um, and, you know, given you know, how early we get involved, that, that often actually makes more sense and, and actually not going to the market with, um, at least overly specific, um, beliefs is I think important. That being said, we're very, you know, we communicate with all the major kind of purchasers um, in the healthcare system. So we, we have a good sense of at least what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, and how, you know, what the competitive la- landscape is in certain markets and what, where opportunities may lie. But we get, a, we get a lot of ideas that we would have, I mean, there's no way we would have ever, <laughs> thought of them if, if we were kind of looking at, you know, a specific target area or, or, or the like. Yeah, I, I would say to you that, that I always love when somebody comes into my office, presents an idea to me, and I'm like, holy cow, I never thought of that. 
That's great. And, and the, those are usually the best. I mean, those are they are. And sometimes they're in, and sometimes they're incredibly simple. I mean, it's not like yeah. they're they don't necessarily need to be. It doesn't mean it's crazy. It's incredibly novel. Um, but um, well, but they've noticed something and they've noticed an opportunity that other people didn't. Well, believe me, I mean, I think if if we went out and polled hospital systems and uh, health plans and and all the constituents, other doctors and stuff, and said, "What would you like to see the venture community investing in?" They're not gonna. There, it would be odd for them to come up with a groundbreaking idea because they're consuming all the ideas that are being presented to them in that moment. It happens, but but what really usually happens is the entrepreneur comes up with something special. And those of us that know the industry look at it and say, wow, that, that's got a shot at changing things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so let's, let, let me understand. So do these companies all end up taking residency in New York city for some time? They do. So, um, and they do because we find it's really important. One, we do a lot of in-person introductions. And so having people in the office is, is incredibly important. And then, um, we do a lot of hands-on work with our companies. So we right. write, we, we write copy <laughs> as part of like the three months uh, of our program. So, you know, I, I don't think there's, I think, you know, a number of VCs have set up like design, um, you know, fo- teams that help with design or coding or, um, the like, I think very few do copywriting. Right. <laughs> um, and we'll do that. Like we get involved in the, in the marketing pitches, uh, sales pitches, uh, and then investor pitches with our companies, um, because many of them need it. And and I think if you polled actually, you know, our, the companies that have gone through our program, they've they'd say that that that's actually a pretty unique and very helpful thing that we do. Actually, how kind of how 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 we get involved in it, you know, on something that's um, you know pretty much in wouldn't say in the weeds, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's down in the operations of the company. So do you, do you think, so they, regardless of where they are, they come to New York and they hang out with you in residence <laughs> for three months. Then what happens to, well, you provide them with services, you introduce them to VCs, you, you help them with customers, you help them shape their plans and strategies. And you've got mentors that, that assist yep. you in that process. And, and then, and then ultimately you, I guess, set them free at some level uh, after, yep. after three months. Do they, do they stay in New York? Do they run away? What, what happens to them? And, and can you give yeah, me this? I, yeah. hope, hopefully it's not seen as a prison to them. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't mean it to sound that no, way. You know. No, I know. Um, you know. It's kind of the natural way to talk about it. But so, um, you know, it's so the, that, 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 that three months is really about kind of, the intensity of our interaction um, and, and really just having some structure around how we interact with them. But after that, it kind of just defaults to a typical uh, BC relationship. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, we communicate with them once a quarter on, you know, what they need, you know, if there's any, any way we can be helpful to them or not. And then, um, you know, and then we try to provide, you know, provide help and then they can contact us on an ad hoc basis and, and get help. And, um, and a lot do, <laughs> and it becomes a lot of work now that we have 75 companies. Um, but, you know, I probably talked to, you know, 
two portfolio companies almost every day um, uh-huh. in, in, in some form or another. And that can range from everything of, you know, going through an investment talks that they, they got, um, you know, a, a partnership opportunity or a business opportunity, um, you know, thinking about, you know, some hires or, or internal kind of, um, you know, HR related stuff that, that, that they're considering. So, um, it can really run the gamut and they, you know, they often rely on us in a different way than they would a VC where, you know, depending on the relationships with, with the VCs, there's certain things that, um, they, you know, things that they necessarily feel vulnerable, vulnerable about, or things that they feel like they should know, <laughs> they should know about, but don't, mm-hmm. they'll often go to us first and, and try to get answers to them. Cool. So a, a last general question, and I want to just get into some of your specific uh, companies. Um, so of the 75 companies, give me a sense for, um, I don't know if this is a good term, but survival rate, those that sort of leave the program and keep, keep rolling. Um, uh, the number of companies that have been able to raise some form of outside money, um, and any other sort of success measurements that you guys might've developed over the time there. Um, so 85% of our companies are, are still in operation. Um, so a really high rate of, of kind of companies that are, um, that are, you know, still in business given right. the stage that, that we invest at. And then, um, 80% of those companies are generating revenue. Um, so, um, you know, they've got real customers and a real business. Right. And, and to us, that's, you know, one of the, the most important indicators are, are our businesses actually generating revenue. And so, um, you know, from that, from those indications, like it, it's, it's working very well. We're, we're, you know, both from a portfolio selection perspective, a lot of, you know, what we do is just trying to find the right people and the right opportunities. We're finding, you know, we're choosing things that, that people are, are able to find, you know, customers who are willing, willing to pay them. Um, you know, and we're finding people that are willing to, to go through the struggle, um, that is, you know, that's involved in, in building a business. Right. Um, and it's not easy. And we've had, um, you know, there's, there's many people that, you know, have gotten into it and, and we're willing to, you know, fight it out for a year, almost two years sometimes before they've kind of got that first, that first break and, and not everybody's willing to do that. The, um, is there, when you look at the portfolio, is there, are you able to identify commonality in the companies in terms of the types of products they're building uh, and, and, and the types of uh, problems that they're, they're trying to solve in the healthcare system? Yeah, I mean, so in terms of, you know, the customer segments, there's, you can break that down pretty easily. Yeah. And, and um, it's, it's unintentional, but it pretty much breaks down along where healthcare spending goes. Um, so majority of money is spent in our healthcare system on, on hospital-based care. The majority of our companies actually serve that channel. Okay. Um, it's, it's a very difficult channel often to sell into um, or people you know are often afraid of it, but it's sure. actually a, a very important one. Um, and our companies have, have you know, figured out how to sell into that channel. 
but it you know it it it, it goes the gamut from hospitals to directly to to providers um, you know smaller smaller practices um, pharmacies lab companies uh, ph- uh, pharmaceutical companies so it, it runs the gamut but it's actually pretty well aligned with um, where where money in our system is is spent and in part that's just kind of a kind of because of kind of our focus on people being able to articulate uh, you know a, a, a sustainable business model of what they're doing and are these companies building software for the most part yeah I mean there are some uh, software enabled services sure um, there has to be there has to be an IT component for us to get involved Um but in, in, in definitely in healthcare, we actually encourage service revenue. Or mm-hmm. you know, our 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 general opinion is um, the overemphasis on on what a lot of people just love to talk about SaaS revenue. Um, and I'm not really 100 percent sure why. Right. Um, we 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 think you know understand understand the differences from a gross margin perspective of, of, of SaaS and potentially service based revenue, but. Right. And the end of the day, service your customer well, and if you can if you can increase your revenue with with some service revenue, yeah, um, it's 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 not um, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, I, here's what I would tell you: SaaS revenue is a lazy man's way of trying to figure out what the recurring base of the business is. I always think of it as yes. recurring yes. recurring gross margin is is the magic idea. So like, you know, you want to wake yes. up. You want to know you're you're not a job shop where you're building uh, your product on a one-off basis and the revenue goes away. But if you can deliver services, I mean, fundamentally, you know, it, Athena Health, one of the sort of you know big SaaS companies out there, is a is a service company. I mean, yeah. But they have a big gross margin on the services they provide, and they use technology to facilitate it. Um, so I'm I'm yeah. I, I'm totally with you in that in that on that point of view. In recurrence, it's interesting. Yeah, no, and definitely the focus on recurrence, I think, is a good thing. And I think if more entrepreneurs understood that, that, that that's actually the concept of, you know, understand that if you have to go find a new sale, that means that you have to reinvest in your customer acquisition costs. Um, and and that's why there's, you know, some, you know, that that, you know, getting a good recurring contract can be a good thing. That being said, if you can find the right model where you actually have to go find new customers as well, um, and, and your cost of acquisition is low enough, that can be a great business too. Um, and I, I think, you know, people are actually truly understanding that side of it, the economic, like why, right. <laughs> why that stuff matters somehow has been lost through TechCrunch or whatever it is that they're reading. Yeah. And it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll reconfigure itself because at the end of the day, yeah. You know, if you can understand the economics of the business and the recurring nature of the the, uh, the profits, really, or the earnings power, yeah, you know, you can understand whether or not you've got a good company. So, are these companies staying in New York or are they leaving? Because I know the venture uh, community in New York is 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 starting to get to be pretty awesome. Um, are we able to keep these guys around, or do they want to go home when they're done working with you? A lot stay, um, and we do. I mean, we pull companies from all over the world. Um, we don't, um, you know, we're not, we're not funded in any way by the government or the city. So right. we don't have a, 
other than you know us liking New York and 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 the community around us, right. we don't have they don't need to stay. We don't have a, a huge emphasis on that, um, but a lot do. And I think that that speaks to what you're saying is um, there's a lot of resources in New York. New York, um, New York's one of the best cities in the world. You yeah. I mean, there's no way of of denying that. And um, other than you know some of the you know, the typical things that, that people complain about in New York, you know, the rent and things <laughs> like that. High, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, people have found it, you know, the best place in the world to find talented people. Yeah. And from starting, you know, starting companies myself, that's, you know, I've learned that's the most important thing. And if I can, if I can be in a, if I can be in a locale where it's easier for me to find smart, talented people, you know, I'm going to be there in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. I mean, you know, obviously, I love New York, and I, I've been here 21 years. I I love to see what's happening in venture generally in New York. We're building a great infrastructure, and as a healthcare VC, I'm happy to see you doing what you're doing here because I'd like to see the healthcare venture side of New York City, uh, you know, make some 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 strides. I mean, we've been lucky to have some good investments in some local portfolio companies, but. Like any VC, I'd lo- I like to have the companies closer to me if I can. Now, that's not a limiting factor for me, but it's, it's always better. So it's sort of, you know, we've, we've, got, we've waited this long, Brad, and I've got a bunch of listeners that are venture capitalists looking for great deals. So I've got to ask you to sort of expose some of, some of the companies in your portfolio with sort of understanding that there are going to be others that we don't mention. But there's got to be, a, 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 you, know, a, you know, two, three, four of them. Uh, that come to mind as as reaching that step where um, a VC you know would be interested in in looking at them to put you know three four five ten million dollars to work. Can you give me a sense of some of those deals that that you've had the opportunity to work with that are getting to that stage? Yep. Um, so um, I'll just you know uh, I'll start going through some companies and you can since we have such a big portfolio you can kind of start to you know, you might need to stop me. Yeah. Um, well, you can give me but, five you know, right off the top and, and we'll, tell me what they we'll do. We'll start with five and then, and then yeah. go from there. Well, we'll run so, out of time before you can get past that. But I will tell people before exactly. you get started, uh, 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 Blueprint Health has a wonderful uh, website and these portfolio companies are described there. And I'm sure you would say, hey, if you're into any of these ideas, you know, send me an email or give me a call because you're happy to yeah. make those introductions, right? Yeah, we're happy to make introductions. So, so definitely feel free to reach out. Um, but so from our first class, there's a company called Procured Health. Um, in you know, they do they do something that um, we would have you know, this is one of those cases where we would have never been looking for this company, but they help they help companies save costs on the purchase of medical equipment. So medical devices, uh, medical supplies, they help hospitals um, specifically save money on that. Hmm. Essentially, it's procurement software. Wow. Never thought I would, never thought I would be in the, in the, you know, investing in a procurement company, but um, they've, they received a, a 5 million Series A about a year ago. Um, they'll, they'll, um, they're growing incredibly quickly, um, you know, over 100% year over year. Um, and um, this is an area, it's the sec- second biggest cost center for hospitals. So it's, a, it's an area that um, is starting to become really important. 
So, um, so they're sort of uh, going into the GPO world but with a digital offering. Yeah, I mean, um, GPO the, for the listeners is a group purchasing organization like a Premier or somebody like that. Yeah, they're they're definitely taking a different approach, a lot more proactive approach from a from a provide from the hospital perspective, mm-hmm. rather than just having a third party completely manage it. And part of it becomes is because um, a lot of this involves actual physician decisions and 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 having systems and, and processes in place where you can uh, help physicians understand um, how their decisions impact the bottom line of the hospital system. Um, and, and that's what they've been able to do that GPOs, uh, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, they're very well suited for negotiating directly with, with the device manufacturers. Um, but a lot of it involves kind of decision-making at the hospital stage. Okay. Um, you know, amongst the providers, um, a, another company that's, um, you know, been doing, you know, very well is a company called iMedicare. Um, it's a profitable company. Um, they have over 5,000 pharmacies that use their software. Um, so they sell into pharmacies and it's software that helps the pharmacy recommend, uh, Medicare part D programs. Oh. to their to their customers um, or I don't know um, or help you know help their customers evaluate what what Medicare Part D program is best for them so uh, seniors actually have to you know choose a choose a, a plan that covers their their prescriptions and it's a pretty complicated process and they've you know simplified it um, you know, into a process where the, the medications are on can be directly imported and then analyze, um, the, the plan selection can be analyzed from that and, and made incredibly easier. So it puts, reach, uh, do the pharmacies then, right? uh, the pharmacies become, uh, retailers of part D programs. Is that, is that the idea? So these are independent pharmacies and uh-huh. they don't, they don't actually retail, um, the plan. I, I think there's um, some rules against that, right. but um, you know, it's, you know, where the, this really allows the independent pharmacies to, to be able to provide, you know, provide that extra level of service that can keep people with the independent pharmacies versus kind of the big chains. Um, and so it's become a very valuable kind of tool for all, for, for the almost, you know, it seems like almost every independent gotcha. pharmacy in the, in the country with the reach they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've just done an incredible job of providing a really good product and then, and then getting that into, um, through the sales channel. Interesting. Um, Interesting. we have, you know, a number of companies that are kind of dealing with chronic care management. And in, in, in one way or another, um, so I'll kind of like group a couple companies into that batch, but, sure. um, health recovery solutions, prevents readmissions growing really fast, you know, published some, some great, great research, um, healthify, which is around kind of the social determinants of, of disease. And this is a, you know, kind of a really big area that, that ACOs are focusing on when they've seen that, that social social influences, um, you know, people's mental health, people's access to, 
to social services can have a have a, a big impact on costs. They're growing really quickly. Um, and then um, companies like WellTrack One and Oculus Health that provide, you know, directly, you know, relate to kind of chronic care management services or WellTrack One with annual uh, wellness visits. Um, you know, companies that are, you know, have a reimbursable CPT code and, um, you know, are, are taking, um, are taking, uh, you know, recognize the opportunity that Medicare has provided by reimbursing for, for chronic care management and, and are making that, uh, easy for, for, for primary care physicians to do, um, and, and deliver to their patients. So those are, I mean, that's a smattering. Yeah, no, that's got, great. I mean, chronic care management got, is where a lot of capital is being deployed right now. Try to resolve yeah. all sorts of questions and where, you know, at the end of the day, it's all going to depend on software to bring the, the efficiency levels in that area up uh, yeah. in the system. And, then, and actually in that space as well as moving analytics, a company that's, that's doing um, inpatient chronic uh, cardiac rehab programs. So it's definitely been an area that where we've seen opportunity and I, and, and have even invested in multiple companies that um, address different parts of that marketplace. Well, that's, that, that's awesome. Thank you. I mean, I, I think what I would say to you is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk offline and we'll, we'll see if we can get a couple of these companies to come on the podcast and tell us about uh, how they're doing. That'd be great. So I want to thank you for your time. It was great to speak with you and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm psyched to, to, by what you're doing because it's uh, selfishly. I want to see New York City become, you know, a great community for developing healthcare companies. And if you keep going at the pace you're going, you'll have a couple hundred companies come through here. And and I think that's great for the city and great for the industry. So uh, thank you for joining me, and uh, I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. And, and the best of luck. It was a great time. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Steve Cooper, you made it through. Thanks again for the hard work and dedication. Brad Weinberg, thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to us on the Breaking Health Podcast. For more information about Blueprint Health, go to blueprinthealth.org. And of course, tune in next week for another tale of innovation back here on the Breaking Health Podcast. <laughs>